Father, so much um, rich stuff in these verses. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. You know what's going on in our lives and our hearts. You know the kind of weeks that we've had. You know what we've got coming up. And so we pray that your living and active word would nourish us for the week ahead, would challenge us, would encourage us, would comfort us, and that you might be at work among us this morning by your Spirit. Amen. Come with me, please, into the shoes of the disciple Peter. And we're in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion, and he sees Jesus betrayed with a kiss. And now we're in the courtyard. Jesus betrayed by the three denials of Peter and the cock crows. And now we're on the cross on Good Friday. The friends have scattered, Peter has vanished, and Peter's hope has gone. Broken dreams, a broken heart, the, the one whom he left it all for, the one whom he had backed with everything, seems to be in front of him, dying naked on a cross. Hope has gone. Peter, disappointed, ashamed, broken, hopeless. And now fast forward again, just a few days later, and it's extraordinary. Now we are with Peter, the preacher, opening up the word of God. And he's a very different man. Totally transformed this bold and this brilliant sermon to thousands, dominated by these truths about the resurrection. And again, fast forward a bit further, and now we are in the shoes of Peter, the writer, the letter writer, some years later, and he is so different. Peter, full of hope. Peter, rejoicing. Peter, full of praise. Peter, full of joy, it seems. From, from the garden, and we track it through Peter to glory. And we must ask, well, what's happened? I mean, if you could bottle this stuff, you would be a billionaire. What has transformed this man from despair to delight? And the answer is Easter Sunday. In one sense, it's as simple as that. It is, it is the empty tomb. It is Jesus raised again. That is what changed everything. This is not wishful thinking from Peter. This is not something that he drums up inside himself. If I just try and be a bit more hopeful. This is more than just Peter as well being united again with, with the one he loved. Some kind of emotional boost, this grief turned to joy. No, this is profoundly theological. This is world transforming. The resurrection of Jesus meant everything changed everything. It meant he had been telling the truth all along. It meant sin and death were defeated forever. It means that he is the Lord and ruler as he said he was. He, he has all authority now. It means one day he will come back to judge the living and the dead. And you see, in an instant, Peter's world is turned upside down again. But this time from, from despair 
to hope. And indeed, such hope that he will write a letter to scattered Turkish believers who were feeling pretty hopeless. They were asking the kind of question that goes along the lines of, is it worth me continuing as a Christian? Is it worth me keeping going as a believer? That, that seems to be something of their doubt, I think. I wonder if you ask that question ever in your honest moments. Is that an issue for you? Tempted to wave the white flag, tempted to surrender, tempted to just jack it all in and do something a bit easier? I guess in a room like this or rooms like these, hey, Oak and Ash, but there will be a few of us who will be wrestling with those kinds of ideas at this point. Is it worth keeping going? For them, it was a live issue because they were really getting in the neck for following Jesus. And yet I think they were in a pretty similar situation to us in many ways. Pretty similar stuff to us. us. It, It seems to me at this point in church history, they aren't at the scared for their life kind of scenario. I don't think so. The sort of stuff that brothers and sisters around the world today will be facing and we'll be praying for them in a bit as we do most weeks. For us, it's not so much that, is it? It's more the niggly things. It's the, it's the temptation just to tone it down a bit. Just to, to be a bit less public and a bit more private about our faith. The way people look at you, the things they perhaps they say about you. Just the kind of atmosphere as you walk in the room. Because you know that you are different. I don't know what it is. You won't cut the corners at work or fiddle the expenses or, or lie to the clients or gossip about people or moan about your managers, at least quite so publicly. You, you intentionally are seeking not to blend in but to be distinctive, to be different. And so there's a sense in which you're shunned or slandered or uh, they heap abuse even. I often think of this, it's, it's that kind of trying to walk up the, um, the staircase, like at a car park or something, and, and you're the only one going up, and you've got crowds of people coming down as you're trying to make your way up, and you're getting in their way, and there are kind of elbows and, and people flooding past you, and you're kind of squished against the wall, but you keep plodding step by step, and you're feeling squished, and it feels more people are coming down, and isn't that a bit like being a Christian at times? It's striking as we come to this new, this new series in 1 Peter. Have a look at some of the verses. Um, we'll just kind of work our way through to give us a bit of a flavor of some of the stuff they were going through. Just a, a few sort of snapshots. And you'll see, I think, it is largely about words. It's largely about things that are being said. So have a look with me. Um, 1 Peter 2 verse 12. Uh, next page if you've got one of the church Bibles at least. Um, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. They accuse you of doing wrong. Or or 3 verse 9. Look down, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Or 3 verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. 4 verse 4, they are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. You see the words, it's, it's accusations, it's insults, it's malicious speaking, it's slander, it's verbal abuse. 
seems to be less about the physical, more about the vocal. And we know in our world, words are powerful. We live in a world where our creator speaks and worlds are created. Words are meant to be powerful and, and our words can do great good and they can do untold damage. We learn the power of words from a young age for good or for bad. Well, it seems these Christians were at the wrong end of abusive words. And so maybe with them we ask, is it worth going on as a Christian? Is it worth working our way up the stairs when everyone else is coming down and we feel, we feel like we're plodding? We're not sure we can keep going. And Peter says, yes. Yes, keep going. Don't stop. And for our passage this morning, there are at least two reasons why he says it's worth it. Why we must, why we must hope. And we must persevere, and we must plod, and we must keep going, and we must trust him. And firstly, he looks back to Christ's resurrection, and he sees that it means a real inheritance for the future. And then he will look ahead to Christ's return, which gives us the reason to persevere for the now. And then either side of that, in 1 and 2, and 10 to 12, he gets excited about who we are as believers, that joy doesn't come from circumstances, joy comes from status. Who you are in Christ is what matters most. The privilege of living when we do. So the reason we keep going, the reason we keep plodding up, the reason we have hope is we look back and we see what he has done and we look ahead and we see what he will do. So let's look back. Christ's resurrection, a real inheritance for the future. If you're a note taker, this is kind of verse 3 to 5 particularly. Uh, on the screen up there behind me. Let me read again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and in, into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So zoom in with me on verse 3 first. It's a new birth into a living hope. Again, do you see it? It all hangs off this Easter morning. If Easter morning didn't happen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we may as well pack up now and go home. There is very little reason for us being here apart from above average coffee and some nice friends and chairs aren't too bad, are they? And it's warm, so you don't have to put your heating on at home. But we may as well go home and we may as well not come back next week if the resurrection didn't happen. It all hangs off Easter Sunday. A resurrectionless Christianity does not work. There is no hope. Let's clear off. Go and watch TV. Have a listen to this quote. It says, Without the resurrection, we would still be in our sins. Without the resurrection, we are lost and there is no hope. There is no salvation without a living Jesus. We need the resurrection to have its power-generating effect inside of us if we're to be born again. We really are saved by his life. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. And you see, see it wasn't just some sort of personal hope for Peter. A, a friend, a teacher, a master, a, a rabbi has been restored to him and it, the world just feels a bit more hopeful again. No, it's a living hope for all. This new age has dawned. In Jesus, the brutal and painful 
age of sin and death has in a sense come to an end. It's a new thing. It's a new morning. The sun has risen. And such a lot then hangs off this Easter Easter Sunday. It's what we've been waiting for. It's what the people of God have been waiting for for generations and generations and generations and generations. Pretty much from the very beginning of the Bible, that is what we've been waiting for. The pages turn and we're looking for one who's going to come and fix a broken world. And the first humans shake their little fists at God and want to do things their own way. And they walk out on the God of life and in comes death. And so we've been waiting for one to come and deal with sin and deal with God's perfect just anger against our sin. And we have a man who dies on a cross on a Friday but is raised again on the Sunday. His sacrifice in the place of his people. And it's enough. It's finished. It's done. Which is why Peter is so overjoyed in verse 3. It's because of God's mercy, his undeserved kindness. It's, it's new birth. It's spiritual life. It's the life that we walked out on but won again for us. It's a living hope now. Not just a wishful thinking hope. We, we hope for all kinds of things. But we have no actual certainty we will get them. But this hope is concrete and secure and steadfast and certain and can never be taken away because Jesus has been raised. Because it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is certain. That can't be undone. And yet isn't it the case that our hearts so often are duped by looking for hope? Life, joy, security, and intangible things or people or stuff of now. So if I could just get a little bit more money in the bank or a slightly better job or, or better shares or pension or property or savings in case it all goes wrong or a, or a spouse or a nicer spouse or a family or a nicer family or if I could just make myself look a bit younger again or whatever it is and you read the papers and, and we see those things just don't last. They're just taken away, blown away in the wind. There are scams, and it means people's money are stolen forever, and they put their hope in it, and it's gone. The stock market crashes, and savings and pensions just disappear. People are injured. People die, even. And Christian, we dread those things happening, and the letter falls on the doormat, and the email pings, and the phone call we take, and and they are awful things... But for the one who is in Christ, they don't take away our hope. Our hope comes from, verse 3, something certain, a resurrection that's already happened. It comes from the Sunday, the empty tomb. And Peter says, because of this living hope that we have, now we will have, we will receive an inheritance. You say, an inheritance? What's our inheritance? Imagine with me, you are before Jesus, And you are part of the Old Testament people of God. You've been rescued through Moses from Egypt. And you're on your way to the promised land. But we're not there yet. We're journeying. We're trusting. We're plodding through the wilderness. And your inheritance, according to God, is the land that he has promised you. The land of rest and security. The land of plenty. The land of intimacy with God, even. That is what we are hoping for. God's God's perfect kingdom. That is what keeps you going. And the word that Peter uses here of inheritance is is that kind of word. It's that Bible word for the promised land, for God's kingdom. But verse 4, 
where their inheritance was perished, that it was ravaged by enemy armies, or where it was spoiled, that is, it was defiled by the sin and the idolatry of its inhabitants, or, or where it faded, that is, it withered and dried up, or was parched in the droughts as God's people walked out on him again, where it perished and was spoilt and faded, that will not happen to us. That was just the foreshadowing. We have the reality. Ours is untouchable, says Peter. And for us, it's more than just a place as well, as it was for them in a sense. But it's more than just a place. It's more than just a new creation, though it is that. The best thing about it is not the stuff that we will get, not the gifts that he will give, but the giver, the relationship, the intimacy with the one who made us and the one whom we were made for. And it's a perfect world to enjoy him in forever. It's real salvation. It's the perfect kingdom. It's life as it was meant to be lived. And it's kept for us. And we are kept for it as well, verse 5. It's a military word. It's, it's God guarding us and guarding it. And so for the Christian, we... We look back and we see salvation has happened. The resurrection is a thing. If you were in the right place at the right time, you could, you could see the empty tomb. It's not just an idea or a hypothesis or a philosophy. But there's history, there's geography. It, it happens. And we trust that. And maybe you can imagine why for the people of God who are under the cosh at this point, why it's such good news for them. We say, well, Peter, why should I keep going? And he says, this isn't all there is. This isn't it. You've got an inheritance. It's been promised to you. But how do I know that I will get it, Peter? How do I know I have it? Well, it's, it's not about you. It's the empty tomb. You can trust him. His resurrection has happened. But Peter, how do I know it won't be taken away from me? I mean, so much of the things that I love and I long for could be taken away. He says, well, it's, it's kept in heaven for you. Nothing can remove it. It's yours. But Peter, how do I know that I won't be taken away from it? Ah, because you're being shielded by God's power. Because he's got you. And so keep going. It's worth it. And yes, you're going up the stairs and everyone else is coming down and it hurts and it's frustrating. And Ah, but it's worth it. Because this is not all there is. So why do we keep going? Firstly, we keep going. Peter says you look back with the eyes of faith and you look back to the certain resurrection and so the certain inheritance and you keep plodding. You keep going because he's got you. Now secondly, we look ahead and we keep going because of Christ's return, which we'll see is a reason to persevere for the now, verse 6 to 9. You see, you're going up the stairs and you keep plodding because we can know that God is at work in us. This is not simply a sort of meaningless flight of stairs going up and up, a self-centered, inward-looking stoicism. If I just look inside, I will find the strength that I need to keep plodding. No, rather, in the pain, he is making us ready for when Jesus returns. Let me read those verses again, verse 6 to 9. In all this... In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine 
and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So often in the hardest times, it's when he grows us the most. You will know some of that, I suspect. When life is easy, when life is uncomplicated, when it's comfortable, and we just kind of freewheel, then we can take it all for granted. But actually when it's hard, and I know some of you will know this, not just as an idea, but in reality at this point, when it's hard, when we know that we can't do it on our own and we have to look to him, then it's then that he's at work the most. It's, it's the greenhouse of suffering. And it grows us and it matures us. And it conforms us into the likeness of Jesus. And they might be exiles. They might be scattered. They might be strangers. But God has not disowned them or forgotten them. He, he has selected them. He has chosen them. He has chosen us even. And it's through the hard times often that he grows us the most. And you see, it's only for a little while, verse 6. He says, in the light of forever, you can keep going for a little while, can't you? I mean, in the scheme of things, it feels big now, doesn't it? It feels big now. But in the light of eternity, actually, keep going. Verse 7, until Jesus returns. You see, God is in the business of refining us. The suffering in us now is making us ready for when he comes back. And so maybe you replay that, that person's comments, those words that hurt you in your mind, and you, and you can't let go of them in the round and round, and we ruminate and we cogitate, and, and they keep hurting us again and again, and yet by God's gentle hand, he uses them to, to refine us, to shape us, to change us, to make us more like him even. Just a little bit by bit, chiseling away at work. And what they intended for harm, perhaps, God repurposes for good. So that verse 7, we may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour. And when he comes back, then it's as if we'll be seen as one of his, perfectly like him. And you put gold into the fire and the impurities come off and and the gold that comes out, it's even better, even more beautiful, refined. Well, so Peter says our faith is refined through, through the pain. It makes me think we need to be careful what we pray for. Do you ever pray for yourself or for your friends to, to be made more like Jesus? We need to be careful, because so often, him making us more like Christ is through purification, it's through refining. That is quite a dangerous prayer to be praying for yourself or for others. For God to answer that, verse 6, it may be grief in all kinds of trials. Yikes. Or sometimes we sing, refine as fire, 
My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, ready to do your will. And we often sing it in quite a, quite a cheery way. What is God's refining fire, Peter? Yikes. It's painful. It's grief. It's all kinds of trials. Maybe even it's suffering at the hands of others. And then he zooms in. Come with me. He zooms in on their love for Jesus that is carrying them through these trials. Maybe even their love for Jesus that is carrying them into these trials. Verse 8 to 9. Peter had seen him. They'd not seen him, but they love him. They don't see him now, but they believe in him. They trust him. Despite their circumstances, there is this inexpressible and glorious joy. And they will see him perfectly one day. He says, he contrasts the past with the present, with the future, when they will see him. Perhaps there's lots to chew on there over home groups. But the everyday experience for the Christian is that their future hope is a present reality now. What is to come is, in a sense, shaping their now. Verse 9, we are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The kingdom is already here now, and yet because the king is coming back, so there's a future element to it too. And until we see him perfectly when he returns, so we press on, we keep plodding, we, we keep going. Because this is not all there is. So in your honest moments... And you're not doing the kind of smiley face at church thing. But when you're honest and you ask, is it worth it? Is it worth plodding up the stairs? What would Peter say? He would say, well, yes, look back at the resurrection. That cannot be taken away from you. And look ahead to Christ's return. This is not all there is. He's, he's at work now. And he will come back then. And you're being made ready for then. But then he finishes up in 10 to 12 again. And do you remember we said at the start, kind of either end you've got joy not coming from, not coming from our, our circumstances, but rather from our status. Well, he, he ends up with him finishing on the privilege that they have now. In verse 10 to 12, of living when we do. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. That is three sermons in itself. But for now... Just know that when we speak of Christ's death and his resurrection, it's something that Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Malachi, Hosea, and all their contemporaries would have given their proverbial right arm to understand and to hear, to know about. There is a clarity for our hope that the previous saints longed to have, longed to know. We have an extraordinary privilege and even today, the angels don't quite get it. Even angels long to look into these things at the end there. Angels see a lot, but there is something about being a human being which helps us to see the gospel with even greater clarity than them, perhaps. 
And so what we might be scattered. We might be trudging our way up the stairs, thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth keeping going? There are so many people coming down, and the stuff they're saying, and their elbows hurt. And, and Peter says, he says, remember your, your status. Don't, don't go with your circumstance. Remember your status and find your joy there. And that inexpressible and glorious joy, verse 8, if we're not feeling that, which I would suggest lots of us might not be, but if we're not feeling that, then maybe ask God this week to help us, to, to chew on these verses this week, to meditate, to wrestle, to pray, to, to memorize. And even though they're all flooding down the stairs and we're trudging our way up, to remember who we are, to remember the privilege that we have, to remember when we live and the hope to which he's called us. And to remember the resurrection which can't be taken away as we look back and to look ahead to his return. And so even now as we're trudging up those stairs, plodding step by step, there can be a joy from him that keeps us going. Let's pray. But we confess we find at times verses like this hard because, because life is hard. And we can find the mess and the chaos and the, the reality, perhaps, of this season to be a hard one. And so we long for more of that inexpressible and glorious joy that he, he speaks to these Christians of and indeed that they have. We pray that you would help us to, to not get so caught up in our, our circumstances that we lose sight of who we are and of when we are and of the, the resurrection looking back and your return, Lord Jesus, coming ahead. And you would help us to see more of who we are and what we have and what is to come so that we keep going. And we confess that it hurts now, for many of us, it hurts. But we thank you that this is not all there is. We thank you that there is more to come. And we thank you for the joy that we can have now from knowing you. And the reality of the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, help us to keep plodding. I particularly pray for any who might be asking those questions of, is it worth it? Or draw near to your people. And keep us going, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.